Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting on Saga 960 AM and the Coastal Carolina Network. One half of your host, Yael Ososki, checking in here from the uh, newly refurbished studio, and I'm joined by my colleague who's in a tie today, Mr. <laughs> David Clement. David, how goes it? It's going well. It's going well. Uh, how are things uh, across the pond? You know, things are uh, excellent. Uh, it was the uh, Austrian national holiday uh, this week, so there was a bit of change of pace. It's always strange to have a holiday in the middle of the week. And then uh, apart from that, just been getting my gear up to date, doing some research. We've got some special podcasts that we're producing at Consumer Choice Center. And uh, I wanted to to start off, David, by stating very clearly that um, any claims made here uh, on this program cannot be independently verified by Consumer Choice Radio. I love that. Um, so first off, uh, we wanted to do a little bit of housekeeping. Obviously, we are broadcasting here on Saga 960 AM, and we have been on the radio since, I believe, about May 2020. We've mm-hmm. been pumping out uh, one episode per week. Um, I think we were Fridays and then moved to Saturdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, if you're listening now. Um, on the air, um, 193 episodes in a row, and um, unfortunately, we've decided to take ourselves off of the radio, David. So it is a, a, a sweet goodbye to our listeners here on Saga 960 AM. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you guys for being a part of this project and listening to us every single week. Uh, but we still will be going on the podcast version, uh, consumerchoiceradio.com. Uh, we'll have some of our colleagues come on. We'll do more episodic content and material every week. Uh, still hoping to keep this uh, a weekly program, as it were. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, but we, um, yeah, unfortunately, the, the radio biz uh, will no longer be uh, calling our name. Yeah, and I, I mean, it means that we can keep doing what we're doing. We're not bound by uh, time. It makes things a little uh, more flexible, and we can nor, bring... nor the CRTC uh, regulations. But then again, I uh, <laughs> what am I talking about? There'll be registering podcast yeah. here too. <laughs> well, we got to break that ten million revenue threshold, and then then we'll get on the list, and we'll have to register and comply with whatever the regs are. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be a, it's a sweet goodbye for the uh, radio hour, but uh, once again, we still will be there in your podcast player, uh, consumerchoiceradio.com. We are on Spotify and Apple and whatever other device that you might use, so that feed is still there, still be providing content. Uh, David, we started the program January 11th, 2020, and uh, what a whirlwind it has been since that time, eh? Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh... I mean, to think we started this and Australia was on fire, right? And that felt like that was a monumental story. And now that just feels, no, not to downplay it because it was a monumental story, but in the context of everything that's happened between then and now, it feels like a complete nothing burger. What would you say? You do here. Yeah. <laughs> That's what a lot of our colleagues have been asking us uh, week in, week out. But we have been producing, as David, you mentioned, a lot of content, a lot of uh, news analysis, looking at topics from a consumer point of view, mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully bringing a little bit of value. But uh, again, the work ain't over, mm-hmm. and there's plenty more to do. Um, 
couple of stories that we obviously want to get to now. My clip machine is up and running. Okay. So I'm ready to go if, um, if you're willing to enter the Thunderdome, as it were. Welcome to Thunderdome. <laughs> so I'm, uh, we've got a couple of stories on the docket. Uh, I know that we've had a big change in the House of Representatives, finally. Mm-hmm. Um, if possible, I wanted to play a, a special clip from one of my favorites, uh, favorite congressman. Is that cool? We yeah, that. let's hear it. So this is um, Congressman Tim Burchett of the great state of Tennessee, Ooh. who I think just gives uh, some of the greatest interviews, greatest punchlines. This is right before the final speaker vote. Okay. But uh, he is one of the, the uh, gang of eight who voted against McCarthy Got to it. vacate his seat. And uh, here he, he kind of gives a little explanation what Congress should be doing in the meantime, uh, and eventually they did do. How, uh, where was everybody yelling when we took off the entire month of August and two weeks into September when we knew September 30th was the end of our fiscal year? You know, what's going to have to happen? Some of these guys are going to have to get out of bed before noon and come down here and work. That's what's going to have to happen. The rest of the country is, I can guarantee you, the good folks in Tennessee right now are on their way out the door. They're taking their kids to school. They're heading to work. They're going to the factories, whatever. Right. And you know what? Congress needs to get off their butts and get to work. And that's what needs to happen. And that's what can happen. When, you know, we roll out of here, we set a meeting for 10 o'clock. And then we uh, cater in a, 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 a hearty lunch at taxpayer expense. And then we leave by 2 o'clock and we walk out with our Brooks Brothers suit, you know, unbuttoned and our, and our jacket thrown over our shoulder and, we, and our ties undone. And we say to America, we've been working hard. Well, you know what? That's an insult to hardworking Americans everywhere from the north to the south. America isn't buying that anymore. There's a new sheriff in town and his name is Mike Johnson and dadgummit, he's going to deliver. Dadgummit. I, I love that he said dadgummit. Like, that just sounds like such like a caricature. Um, I mean, he does have a bit of a point uh, in terms of people lighting their hair on fire over the chaos. I mean, they take vacations as well, and nothing got done during that time. So, I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I just love the accent. Yeah, I love Burchett. He's great. Um, He hasn't been in Congress too long, I think just three or four terms, but Mm -hmm. um, he's definitely made himself known. And um, obviously, why do I follow him? Uh, Well, he happens to be um, the the number one person who's spearheading uh, UAP disclosure. Oh, he's the alien guy? Yeah, he he is the UAP uh, congressman. And what's funny about it is uh, he actually had a, uh, a skiff meeting. Okay. This is a secure, compartmentalized information facility. So uh, soundproof room, as it were, no yeah. electronic devices. And he was supposed to get the, uh, the briefing on what the Pentagon knows about UAPs. And uh, he sauntered out of that. I don't have a good clip, but just said, like, yep. These guys are lying to us. <laughs> they got all this money, and I think it's time to audit the Pentagon. So, <laughs> great clips from him. Well, that's uh, good. Yeah. And that would be the road to hell for America. So yeah. A lot of great things from uh, Congressman Burchett. Uh, but, yeah, David, I know that um, I wanted to ask you how the, uh, the TV business is going. I know you've been delving very deeply into many different interviews with people who are uh, following or involved or implicated mm-hmm. in the situation, uh, Gaza, Israel. So uh, how's that going? You've been and provide some context on your your TV uh, stints. Yeah, I've um, 
I've been uh, in the news business uh, a little bit, and that's allowed for me to do some some really interesting interviews um, on a on a bunch of different topics. One of which is uh, one of which is um, what's going on uh, between Israel and Hamas and the war and the terrorist attack and. Um, all of that. Uh, I mean, what do you want to know, Yael? There's, there, <laughs> there is a lot to, to break down here. I mean, it's uh, changing by the hour. Yeah, I think um, then I guess the, the only question to ask, and there's been a lot of stories and there will continue to be, and there's a lot of different things that flow through the media ecosystem. Um, it's just hard to tell. You know, I actually watched... Um, a program that I would recommend to all on Netflix called Spy Ops. Have you Ooh, seen this by any chance? No, I have not. It sounds like it's up my alley, though. They do have uh, two great episodes about Israel and Palestine, going back to the the Munich Olympic Games and uh, the Palestinian terrorists who uh, killed uh, at least two Israeli athletes on the spot and then uh, later had them killed when they threw a grenade into the helicopter at the airport where they were attempting to flee. Uh, yes. Uh, it is very wild because that, that was when the Mossad crew, this is the movie with uh, Eric Bana, Munich. Where Munich. Kind of, they're the movie. assassination crew. They, they go out to different parts of Europe, different cities, and uh, track down the Black September group that was responsible for this. Uh, oh my, how times do not change. <laughs> That's all I could say about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here, here we go again. Um, would be the theme. Great movie, though. Um, and the the theme of it, you know, and and what's recurring and what you kind of see is the leadership, so called, of these groups and these people. You know, they're living large. You know, they in that at that point they're living in Beirut or Rome or Paris. You know, they have swanky apartments. It's just like the Hamas fellow guy who's living large in Qatar. You know, having a great time living. I think he's full times out of Four Seasons. You know, plugging away at those points, doing a great job. I mean, that is. These are the so-called leadership of these organizations and groups who can go condemn people online or organize these international terror plots. Uh, it just seems as if they're they're pretty easy targets. But again, uh, I mean, well, it's well, a bit. It's I'm a sure bit, there's a lot of stuff happening. It's a bit rich that. Um, that these the leaders of Hamas will talk about the plight of those in Gaza, but they don't live there. Like that surely should raise some eyebrows. Um, that the leadership of like the governing body of that territory, the leaders of it, do not live there. Um, it makes you wonder why. For things well, that are under yeah. their control. Yeah, and they got out, you know. Yeah. And um, you know, I don't know if you've watched any, but uh, Pierce Morgan has been on this. I, yeah. I think he's really catering to the YouTube uh, market, but yeah. uh, he's been doing interviews every single day with with people. He's getting shouting matches. I'm sure his ratings are through the roof. I remember we, I think we talked last week. He had the Palestinian ambassador to the UK on, and you have all these people. You know, it's um, it's difficult because a lot of people are just. It's very easy to just reset and uh, just go back to the old arguments. And um, there's not really much ground that's made there. But, you know, it's impacting absolutely everything. And um, I thought that the radicalization of the populace was something that we could say was um, kind of the Trump derangement syndrome, uh, at least in the U.S. and beyond. But um, I think this is, this is worse or deeper than Trump derangement syndrome. 
in terms of personal relationships broken off, you know, uncomfortable family moments or with friends. I don't know if you're feeling that. Um, yeah. I mean, you have people who won't, I mean, you can think whatever you want, um, about the treatment of those in Gaza and who's to blame for the living conditions, let's say prior to the war. Um, that's a conversation to be had. Um, but there seems to be a lot of people whom cannot or will not do the absolute very least and condemn the terrorist attack of October 7th, um, which is rather interesting for me. And I think that, that the reason why it's so awkward is for a lot of people that's not something you can really come back from, right? That's not like... If you're at dinner and you're talking to somebody and they're like, oh, yeah, you know what, I kind of like President Trump. I hope that he wins uh, the nomination. I'd vote for him again. Yeah, we disagree. I, I, that is not my view. and We've made that known oh, for a long time. Um, but you can probably still have dinner with that person. Uh, some people couldn't, and they lit their hair on fire, and anyone who in a binary system supported the other team was evil. Um, I think that's quite silly, but it's pro it's probably quite difficult to sit across the table from someone who won't uh, won't condemn uh, the lighting of people on fire, the murdering of the elderly, the kidnapping of kids under the age of two. Um, if if you can't, if you don't have any type of moral clarity to say that that is bad. You're probably not someone I ever want to hang out with or associate with professionally. Uh, and there's been some griping about, like, well, is this cancel culture? It's like, mm, I don't know. This is not just like, ooh, they have an opinion I don't like. This is, they won't condemn things that are on video. And, I mean, if, you're, if we go back to, you asked about some of the interviews that I've done. I interviewed... Uh, the granddaughter of one of the hostages and she said something that really stuck with me she said she listed through all the things that they did and she said they did that they filmed it and they enjoyed it that's wild stuff uh, we'll have more on that and more here on consumer choice radio stay plugged uh, soon we won't need these breaks anymore uh, consumerchoiceradio.com we'll be right back Welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting here on Saga 960 AM and the Coastal Carolina Network. Uh, David, you were giving some of the details of uh, one of the interviews that you conducted uh, on the televisions, um, discussing um, essentially the atrocities of what had happened. And uh, she had mentioned that you know they were not very shy about it. They had GoPros attached to their helmets. You know, they broadcasted this stuff. Uh, I've probably been in um, far too many Telegram groups seeing a lot of this raw footage and video. Uh, Lord help me. And, uh, you know, this is not something that they're shying away about. It's We're in an interesting media and information ecosystem, though, because a lot of that stuff just says, oh, it's denied or it's just kind of uh, eschewed away. And I don't know how or, or people can do that. 
or they say that it can't be verified, which is why the Israeli government took the rather drastic step. They called in 200 journalists, foreign journalists, accredited journalists, and they screened all the unedited footage for them, untouched. And I mean, I can talk about what is on some of that footage. It is horrific. Wait, you it saw is, some of that too? or I have seen some of it. Wait, were you part um, of this briefing? To a certain extent, uh, I was a part of the briefing, not the in-person one. Um, wow. So there are atrocities on camera in real time, and yet you still have people saying, well, how do we know that actually happened? It's like, they filmed it. It was on, they fil- and they filmed it on purpose. Like, it's the level of denialism there is just it's wild it's wild and ironically the thing that grinds my gears the most is when the hospital was bombed in Gaza the same people who immediately jumped to well Israel did it because Hamas said they did that Israel did it are the same people who are then uber critical about any other claim on the other side and it's a real mask off moment where you're like, oh, okay, I can see the person behind the mask now. We live in a dark moment. Yes. Yes, indeed. I mean, to your point there as well, you know, it's just a lot of this stuff is interesting because you see the narrative already, you know, spin out before realistically everybody hears about it. So people denying the claims or saying there's no evidence for that, or the proof is that Joe Biden said he saw it, but then he really didn't see it. So obviously it doesn't exist. It's this kind of stuff to where I, I'm familiar with these rhetorical things. I used to do this as well. I think everybody kind of does. You know, you, you have these two or three or four key facts to your argument that you cling to. Uh, unfortunately, these are all pretty easily debunked. Uh, This happens every time when Piers Morgan has someone from the very strident Palestinian side on his show, and he starts with, can you condemn the attacks? And they'll be like, well, I'm more interested in in the genocide that is happening. Can't do it. (laughs) I'm going to give you, okay, what does genocide mean, Yael? I would assume it would be, I'm not cheating here, um, the obliteration or a systemic killing of a particular ethnic or religious group. Yeah. Killing is the key word, correct? I believe the killing is uh, very integral to that definition, yes. Yeah. Would you like to hear an interesting stat? Sure. From 1990 to 2022, the population of Palestine, so that would be the combination of Gaza and the West Bank, grew from 1.98 million people to over 5 million people, a growth rate of 155% in 32 years. In that same period, the total population of all countries increased by 50%. So where, where is this mass killing? And yes, the conditions that folks live in in Gaza are atrocious, and there are a variety of reasons for that. But when people throw around the word genocide so carelessly, it really demeans the word. And you are not seeing what... It is not being shown in terms of 
population growth or anything like that. That is not what you would expect if a genocide is in fact taking place. And so they completely devalue the word to the point where it has no meaning and it's used so casually. And that really drives me nuts. Yeah, I can, um, we can just say that the casual invocation of many different terms and uh, racism, racism, uh, fascist, Nazi, you know, remember this Nazi far right Nazi um, that was used a lot. That kind of stuff has just infected. And, you know, we talk a lot about media criticism and and how things are uh, perpetuated. And a lot of this is really done by the leaders of political parties, uh, heads of government. You know, they use this all the time. I mean, I don't want to have to play too many clips of Trudeau. Invest in Bitcoin. But he's, <laughs> he's had so much of this kind of stuff saying, well, you know, these are you know, people who are, don't get vaccinated or misogynistic, racist, mm-hmm. even, you know, all this. <laughs> that kind of stuff is just so troubling because all you're doing, it's just slippery slopes being constructed all around us. You know, it's like worse than snow day in January. And yeah. it's it, the kind of stuff that they're setting up. You know, we have clips. This is the thing. We have clips. We're able to record things. And when people say things that are ridiculous, you're going to go to, you know, radio or podcast jail. Because you'd be in jail. Uh, speaking of that, David, I wanted to transition a little bit to talking about, we're talking about, you know, global stuff, you know, mm-hmm. uh, health conditions. Obviously, the United Nations is very involved in what's happening in Gaza, Palestine, Israel. And we've seen a number of the um, Security Council meetings that have been streamed online. Nobody ever usually pays attention to these things. And uh, they tend to be Israel bashing sessions, as they were. Uh, But there's one interesting UN thing that hasn't really been discussed too much uh, through the World Health Organization, the Pandemic Prevention Preparedness and Response Accord, This is a new global convention about pandemic preparedness, essentially. And there have been some reports about this. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of different World Health Organization treaties. Uh, There's one on tobacco control that we've talked a lot about. There are some on um, health, sugar. They, They want to do a lot more monitoring of media. This one is really interesting. And there are elements of this that are a bit concerning. Uh, what I think is very problematic with a lot of that is it focuses a lot, not just on like, hey, how do we get more doctors and medicines? And it has everything to do with online speech. <laughs> it has nothing to do with actually solving illnesses or pandemics, you know, from like a medicinal standpoint. It's everything about reaction mm-hmm. online. And if this episode happened to be on YouTube, for instance, you know, you'd see a warning if I were to mention COVID or global warming or something like that. And a lot of it comes from the UN or these other organizations. And I have a, a, a clip here I wanted to play. This relates to uh, Donald Trump, if you guys remember. Uh, he actually said he was going to pull the U.S. out of the World Health Organization at one point. Yeah. And remove the funding. And I I went through my clip archive, mentioning clips, and uh, found one of, of people who are just aghast that we would ever question the World Health Organization. Uh, before I play that, though, any uh, response to the pandar- pandemic p- preparedness treaty? <laughs> well, it should be more about actually being prepared, not how do we limit information when it matters the most. 
Oh, David. I mean, it just... It, uh, of course. It scares me. <laughs> what do you mean, of course? Oh, it's not about actually solving uh, pandemics or getting funding. Oh, it's okay, about how yeah. to control speech online. Of course not. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it, the pandemic has shown that on a global level, the the nuts and bolts of how to actually respond to a pandemic should be something that all national governments are considering, right? They should start to make emer emergency preparedness plans, um, not be like, well, how can we regulate or restrict what people say about a potential pandemic on Twitter? It's like, um, that's probably the conversation you have last after you figure out things like, can you manufacture vaccines domestically? <laughs> like, those are the big questions. Um, yeah, those are I, the, the number one most important question is, uh, or I guess premise is, uh, do not trust the Chinese Communist Party. We're going to leave them stone cold oh, dead. Where, where? All right, let's go ahead and play this <laughs> uh, this clip. I, again, I haven't listened to the whole thing, but let's go back. These are uh, people who are um, castigating uh, Donald Trump for uh, getting the funding of the U.S. out of the World Health Organization. He's defunding the World Health Organization during a global pandemic. Brilliant! It's like when your house is engulfed in flames, first thing you do, burn down the fire department. Defunding at WHO in the middle of a pandemic is like pulling the plug on firefighters in the aftermath of 9-11. It's like shooting at an ambulance because you don't like how quickly it responded to its first call when you still have patients uh, lying out in the street, bleeding, needing responses. Stopping funding to an organization that handles pandemics in the middle of a pandemic is like slashing your own tires because you're mad you woke up late for work. One would think that this would be cutting off your nose to spite your face. Defunding the World Health Organization in the middle of a pandemic is about like me refusing emergency trauma care to a teenager in a car crash because the police officer told me that he was texting and driving. It's the same reason you don't give your Uber driver one star during the ride. You do that till you're safe at home, not while you're doing 90 on the freeway. One star? Huh? One star? I'll show you one star, mother... Boy, comedy has not been good for a long time, huh? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's kind of um, sad. Yeah, I, 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 it's like I get what they're saying, but when you look at the influence the Chinese government had on policymaking and next steps how unless there's structural change how can you actually trust the world health organization to not make those mistakes again right they one they have to admit that they were in fact mistakes which i don't know if they have to a thorough degree uh and two if they can't or won't then what are we doing they're obviously not the right um the right organization to handle that workload. I mean, there was a way back in this debate, I remember, there was an, uh, an article in the Wall Street Journal that basically said, we can't trust the World Health Organization. Just let Interpol do this. They have the infrastructure and the global network to like coordinate and investigate properly, and they can issue warnings and guidance uh, probably more effectively and more consistently than the WHO. Really? Now, I don't know if that's a great idea, but it was at least a idea where it's like, well, it doesn't mean you do nothing. 
you can have some global coordination. It just doesn't. It just doesn't have to be tied to an organization beholden to the Chinese Communist Party. That's which, weird, you know, because I mean, I've I don't know about you, but I've never seen a program uh, that has uh, a TV show that has Interpol as the subject. Hence, why no. I don't even I don't even know what they do, and uh, I think I demand a Dick Wolf production of uh, what Interpol does, because <laughs> I hear yeah, about it all go. the time. But I don't know. Uh, do they even have much power? I know there's a Europol, uh, which is essentially the same thing—a cross European uh, police investigative unit. But uh, Interpol, yeah, you don't know. I, I think they just come up with lists of people and put them on it. I don't know how often they're actually arresting people. But yeah, yeah um, it's a good question. It is a good question, but the better, greater point is, um, yeah, don't trust the Chinese Communist Party. And uh, this pandemic preparedness treaty, a lot of it is about information that's online, what people are saying. Well, golly gee, what did China say in the very beginning? Uh, they were censoring doctors. They were making them go quiet. Uh, the first people who raised alarms about this, independent journalists, were themselves offed into, who knows, like the trunk of a car or got their social status revoked through the social credit score system. I have no idea. But, you know, this is not the kind of stuff that, that we want to have when the next pandemic comes. Boost. Tell me about it, Mr. Fauci. Uh, so, yeah, we've got uh, much more to come here on Consumer Choice Radio. David, I think it's um, been a, a, ti- a trying time for many people in many conversations. Uh, we can hopefully talk about some some better stuff rather than the gloomy for our third segment. But um, I'm excited for uh, for more conversations to come. Again, if you're listening on Saga, we are moving to the podcast-only version. So you guys keep listening in. Uh, stay tuned here for your uh, last commercial break. And uh, we'll be right back after this. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio here on Saga 960 AM, Coastal Carolina Network. Uh, Mr. Clement, there's been a number of uh, political news stories, things that are happening, um, op-eds that have been dropping from left and right from many of our colleagues. We'll give special praise to um, our colleague Bill Vietz. had a great piece in The Hill uh, about RFK and his thoughts on EPA. And then our, our colleague Stephen Kent had a, a great piece in the USA Today about uh, Disney and the Chinese Communist Party. Oh, well, here they're back once more, back in the narrative. <laughs> it's a strange world out there. Surprise. Surprise. Yes, yeah, so a great uh, praise for that. We'll link to both of those in our show notes, consumerchoiceradio.com. Um, so, yeah, David, uh, there's a couple of news stories that have hit this. There's a lot on Israel, there's a lot on Gaza, um, some things on the debt payments in the U.S. I mean, where, where do you want to go here? Oh, hmm. Um, I don't know. You pick. I've had a great rotation on my YouTube of uh, what's happening in the House of Commons in Canada. I don't okay, know why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why, but it just it pops into my recommended uh, loop. You know, it's in my mm-hmm. algo. And uh, really interesting what's happening there. You know, there's a lot of questioning about... Um, you know, what's happening with the statements on Israel and Hamas. Uh, but also this kind of grocery plan just kind of went away, right? <laughs> this, this whole idea that we're going to make everybody's grocery bills much lower uh, by, I guess, jawboning the grocery stores. 
Um, yeah, we have no, there's no, I haven't seen any movement. Everyone's like, um, what's going on here? And I mean, there is some question. This is, this is what's really interesting is that like, in, in theory, if the grocery stores were to do this on their own, it could be considered collusion and anti-competitive. Cartel. Right. If they came together and were like, okay, we're going redu- to do this, this, and this on the prices for this, this, and this. I mean, they got fined a lot of money and were charged for basically doing that on the price of bread. <laughs> be patriotic. Form a cartel. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't expect any movement there. I mean, the, the, again, we sound like broken records when we talk about this, but the answer is how do you increase competition? How do we get European chains, American chains into Canada? Oh, do you want an Aldi? Way? Yeah, of course. Oh, you want an Aldi? Let's get him a little. Somebody get this guy a little or an Aldi or something. You know, yeah. so he he needs to bag his own groceries for once. <laughs> Actually, you've got to bag your groceries at most grocery stores now. They stopped bagging groceries during the pandemic, ah. and most of them never brought it back. So what of happened to the job actually... of the bagger? What happened to that guy? Well, it usually was the person scanning the groceries. Oh, so they we don't ease really their have workload. baggers anymore. Yeah. 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 Um Unless it actually happened to me the other day. Sometimes you'll get charity groups and they'll bag your groceries. And the idea is that you donate to charity and they bag your groceries. But it's usually some 16-year-old kid who's like putting the carton of milk on top of the blueberries. (laughs) And it's just a mess. (laughs) I do got to give them uh, some praise here. It's a much more effective way to get you to donate that $1 uh, at the credit card terminal. (laughs) Also, never do that. (laughs) <laughs> never do that not because the charity may not be for a good cause but that is a contribution for the company's charitable donations yeah so you so subsidize bigger, president's choices charity drive or whatever yeah and the tax implications for that yeah and um it's an interesting thing about handouts uh because we often have this uh, issue in uh, european grocery stores is you have um uh, the we had this in Montreal as well. You have the accredited, um, I don't know, um, beggars. I guess you call them. Uh, they're part of an official organization. You know, they sit Wait, their hand sorry. out. D- accredited beggars. Yeah. So the beggars have a uh, <laughs> uh, the, the, the sans abri, as we say in French. The beggars. Uh, well, they don't have a union. They have a club, and the club. Um, you're essentially not allowed to panhandle. Unless you have a license, and this license comes from this organization, and the only thing the organization can do is sell you a newspaper. So I think you might have seen this in Vienna. Um, they go around and they try to sell this Augustine newspaper, which oh, is just, wow. there's nothing. I mean, it's like articles yeah. from 10 years ago, uh, some narrative about a guy's teapot. You know, they're... There's nothing yeah. in there of interest, but they say, okay, well, the government will allow us to panhandle if we actually have a product that we're hawking. So, yeah, they have to have an official card. The issue becomes that um, the theory is there's a lot of gypsy mafia folk that have uh, regulatory capture on those licenses. <laughs> it's it's a very strange system. I know that uh, in Montreal it was kind of like that for a while. 
That's um, crazy. Is it? I guess it's kind of like it's like a more organized squeegee kids. Oh yeah, and um, often the, squ- the, the squeegee kids. Oh yeah, of course. But you know they yeah. are, and a lot of people are kind of forced to do that. You know, if they're undocumented or mm-hmm. you know, whatever else, they're forced to go out and let's say you make ten bucks a day. You know, you turn around and give eight to your. Uh, squeegee man or you know the squeegee boss as it were yeah like the guy who supplies the soap it's pretty organized um another story that relates to that is the ngos that deal with migration okay. uh there has been a little bit of study into this not enough um, but every time that the un does something on migration or uh, the u.s or canada there are grants that are given to organizations that house migrants uh, feed migrants, provide you know shelter. Uh, a lot of that stuff is very unaccountable in terms of the money. And um, oh boy, what a surprise I saw the other day! Boost the uh, Clinton Foundation happens to have a lot of these contracts, and we're given the exclusive contract in Haiti uh, after one of these earthquakes. And we see this a lot near the border, uh, United States. Um, Vivek, for some reason, keeps talking about the U.S.-Canada border, but uh, you see you see it a lot, like in uh, Texas and some of these places that uh, many of these migration NGOs, who I think previously we would have praised because they're helping a lot of migrants, you know, giving them water and shelter, uh, they're getting a lot of money and grants. And the more people they help, you know, the per head, uh, the more money they get. And it creates this weird system of incentives uh, there's been some reporting on this from Peter Schweitzer, who's the sort of anti-Clinton reporter guy, uh, who's written a couple books. Uh, it's it's an entire it's, it's it's a big rabbit hole. It's a wild one. And it's weird. You would one would expect a certain level of uh, accountability. Um, a certain amount of, of, of accountability for any organization that receives public money, right? You'd expect, like, if taxpayer money is going to something, you get the nuts and bolts of, like, where the money is going. I, I'm, I've always been curious as to why that's not the case. Because you, on the private side, a lot of these charities spend, like the ones that are truly private, that don't necessarily take government money, they do a lot of work and pride themselves in being as transparent. You, like, you'll know their ratios and how much they spend on staff and whatnot. Um, they're rather public. Um, and so, uh, yeah, very strange. There, well, this relates to, to the story we talked about at the top of the hour, stuck <laughs> in radio terms. Uh, is all the money that governments and UN has been sending to Palestine, uh, specifically Gaza, you know, where is that money gone? Because, um, you know, people are, if people are having all of these problems accessing fresh water, electricity, I mean, this is a multi-billion dollar operation, the giving that has been sent to uh, the various Palestinian territories. You know, has it all been commandeered by Hamas to build rockets and all these different kinds of things? We don't really know because we don't have the accountability because it happens mm-hmm. to be two or three organizations past you know, the official government channel. So it's not like you can uh, file a FOIA request or something. You can't track well, that. And it's funny you bring that up about Hamas because that was one of the things that I always re- wondered about aid 
right? How do we? How do you know that the aid going into Gaza is not siphoned off by Hamas? A lot of people are talking about fuel, which of course you need. Um, but at the same time, if the Israelis let fuel through, is Hamas just going to siphon that off and fuel more rockets? Like, is what, surely one could understand why, if you're in Israel's position, you don't feel like you have a moral obligation to literally fuel the enemy. Yeah, I heard uh, Naftali Bennett, who's the former Israeli prime minister, uh, one of his interviews, he said, you know, you didn't have the U.S. Uh, throwing bread down with the bombs on the Germans or the Japanese. <laughs> so I was like, whoa. No. <laughs> Ooh, that's, that's uh, uh yeah no you did uh, not uh, that's a big one there yeah be the road of the hell yeah, okay uh, yeah <laughs> that was a big one uh but yeah we'll, we'll continue kind of following that and again um with you know some of these stories it's a lot about transparency where the money's going um you know just related again to the uap disclosure stuff you know all that stuff is supposed to be at the pentagon but they contract it out to different military firms and uh, military contracting firms. So there's there's a lot of levels of obfuscation that are um, that are allowed to be there, and unfortunately, that's what happens when you have very large governments that grow to be very big, and uh, people have all kinds of expectations, and we spend a lot of money, and most of these governments t- don't really have the money, and we hear all these arguments about, well, of course, uh, we have a very high credit rating, so we can just keep on spending. Not a problem, David. Well, and interest rates are going to stay low for a very long time, Yael. I don't know I th- if you remember that doozy. I do, I do. Yeah. And I think I, I think we heard that, uh, yeah, I think from every uh, central banker in the world. <laughs> uh, we heard that from like every every single treasury secretary or minister of finance and all these kind of different things. Um, so, yeah, this is um, all the stuff continues. The pendulum always swings back. You know, that's kind of what mm-hmm. we learned over the years. Um, but David, it is our, our final broadcast uh, here on Saga 960 AM. It's been a good radio run. Again, uh, people can go to consumerchoiceradio.com, find us in your podcast app stores, mm-hmm. Consumer Choice Radio, subscribe, continue listening there. Uh, but the radio journey is over. The radio journey is over. I encourage everyone to still tune in. You'll find us wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple, etc. cetera, um, because we're going to have a lot more great content coming. Um, just won't, won't be on the, the AM airwaves. We'll just be via the interwebs. Via the interwebs. And, of course, people can still access, you know, on apps and uh, downloads and everything else. Uh, it's great to see that the technology is constantly evolving. Uh, we will not be subject to rules, um, so who knows what will happen there, uh, but also timing and uh, more thematic mm-hmm. episodes, as I mentioned. Um, so next week we want to have a great program on the net neutrality debate in the United States. Mm-hmm. That is back once more, rearing its ugly head. So we have yeah. a, a great interview uh, lined up for that. Uh, actually, we can go into a deep deep dive on this topic. Don't have to take breaks. So again, uh, consumerchoiceradio.com. Uh, David, since we're, it's our last moments of promo on the radio, uh, what do you have to promote to the listeners here before we uh, head off to Fairer Shores? Uh, well, next week I'll have an op-ed in the Financial Post about Uber, ca- Uber caps in Toronto. That's going to be a must-read. Uh, some potential conflict of interest in the mayor's office, which is always exciting. A little bit of corruption to start your week next week. Gets Ooh, me beautiful. jazzed up. 
it's a great thing to wake up to. So definitely look out for uh, David's piece there. Again, on the tweeters, you can find us uh, at Clement Liberty for David. Um, I am at Yael OSS, Y-A-E-L-O-S-S. Uh, always providing our instantaneous commentary, and uh, that means that we don't have to repeat our tweets uh, during programs, mm-hmm. which we yeah, kind of do anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, so a lot of great promotions there. Uh, also from our colleagues at Consumer Choice Center, consumerchoicecenter.org. Uh, we are the Consumer Choice Advocacy Group. Uh, everything that relates to tech innovation, lifestyle freedom, Uh, We're talking about fit-for-growth policies, uh, ways that we can make things more affordable for consumers and protect their lifestyle regulation. That is what we do. And we'll have much more stuff from our colleagues in the episodes to come, consumerchoiceradio.com. So, David, it's been a pleasure being on the air with you on the radio. Um, Let's chat again on the interwebs. On the interwebs it is. 